presents... Welcome listeners to show number two of Digital Film Photography. I'm Christian and with me is my co-host Aid. Hi Aid, how are you? I'm good mate. It's good to talk to you again. I'm looking forward to this one because I think we might ruffle some feathers. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I'm glad to be talking to you uh, too. It's, it's uh, such a privilege to have you on the show and uh, today we'll be talking about the film look and I think... Um, when we say film look you should always the listeners should always imagine like air quotes because <laughs> uh, the film look is something that people just talk about all the time and something like it's almost like ethereal what is the film look and i think a lot of people have very different opinions what the film look is and uh, i think um uh, i don't know if you agree but i think if we approach the film look and and try to figure out what it is there are several aspects of it. It's it's like the feeling. It's it's like uh, I don't know. It's not just a technical thing. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I I you know it it's it's difficult to pin down, isn't it? It's like trying to nail jelly to the wall. It's it's something that doesn't doesn't happen easily. The so uh, what do I think of as, as the film look? I I think there's. It is, it's almost it's almost difficult for me to, to say something unless you were to see a digital photograph side by side with a film photograph. You know, the, the, the same image, but one shot on film and one shot on digital. I think then at most points I'd probably be able to tell. Um, and I think it's something that our brains are aware of unconsciously, I think. So is it perhaps that... Uh, you know, digital grain is different from analog grain because you can try and approximate grain, and we'll talk more about this, I know, th through the course of this conversation. Um, but you know, uh, that that sometimes is is a bit different. Um, but the thing is about film, right? I, I, the film look bothers me just as even as a concept because as anybody who's really into film now, you can make almost any film look like almost anything, right? So you can use different chemicals to to process them you can push them you can pull them um uh, you can you if you're happen to be using analog printing methods you've got your dodging and your burning and your filters and yeah you know, and yeah you know, if you've not if you're using digital methods uh, you know or a digital hybrid workflow with your analog then let's say you're scanning your negatives so how do you scan your negatives what processing does yeah. that come in with yeah. um so and especially with black and white i think um uh, you could almost make a film look like whatever you want it to. And that's a joy. That's a joyous thing that yeah. should be celebrated, right? Because that's that allows for amazing creativity. And as good as digital is today, I'd still say there's more creativity available in just the sheer volume of options that you have with, with analog, um, although digital catches up, of course, over time. So I'm not sure I know what the film look is. Um, can we talk about like the roll off of the highlights perhaps is that it yeah with digital digital files clip highlights and analog film has a lovely roll gentle soft roll off in the highlights is that even true anymore i mean we're recording this at the end of 2022 i'm not sure that uh, certainly not as true as it was 10 years ago uh, and i think there are many uh, many good coping mechanisms for that kind of behavior um 
so so yeah i i don't know what do you think the film look is so <clears throat> i think you're perfectly right i mean uh it's really really hard to define what what is the film look and i mean uh, I remember when I was a, a teenager, uh, people were talking about the Fuji colors and the Kodak colors and uh, what or the Agfa colors for that matter. And um, but what you said is uh, that even from the same film stock, you can uh, create several different looks. Um, but I think, yeah, for me, the film look. Uh, when I uh, got into film photography, the first thing that sprang to my mind was when I thought about film look was the grain, obviously. Funny enough, I'm I'm not that much a fan of grain unless it's really, really harsh and pronounced. And uh, so, yeah, but that's one of the things that springs to mind. But I agree that I think the film look, and you hear the air quotes again, is something that is <laughs> very, very hard to define. <clears throat> I think one of the things that strike, especially uh, when it comes to color film, uh, or, or only if it comes to color film, which strikes me as very, um, as very um, common for films, is that you hardly ever get real colors, air quotes included there as well, because there is some sort of um, color vibe that you get from a film that you wouldn't get from you know, the neutral digital image or the, the image that you have in your mind uh, from the scene. So if you take an image, let's uh, say, for example, you, you're you in uh, <clears throat> in the forest. There are so many different ways that color films render green mm. that one of the things that I think is that um, film look is the way that colors are rendered. Okay. Okay, For, interesting. I mean, uh, one of the uh, uh, um, one of the most um, uh, interesting uh, films that I uh, color films that I uh, remember is Portra Four Hundred, and the way that Portra renders colors, the pastel quality that you get from or Portra One Sixty, the pastel quality that you get, um, you shoot that film for this pastel quality. So I would say, in terms of color film look. The way the colors are rendered is not neutral. It's always it yeah. There's always a palette. A there's light. a color palette that is designed into exactly. the, the film, isn't it? And and uh, yeah, it's it, it's interesting. I think when I when I first started shooting film and I used a lab, I think they used to oversaturate the scans, especially of lighter colored films like Portra, because my my mental image of Portra for a long time was not the image that you see and that I now understand to be a more sort of you know naturally occurring portrait image I had this sort of you know quite saturated you know sort of you know um not not quite as as strong as ektar perhaps but um and again that's that's you know C41 was supposed to be the universal process right um uh and and yet um you know because today we live in a world of of hybrid film and digital you know everything can come back differently i don't wonder wonder if actually i should i should shoot a role of portrait or 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 do it as a, as an interesting experiment on different roles of film and just ask for them to be printed directly from the the analog process no, not from the analog but from the mini lab process i guess it would be because not not that um not that that's a fully analog 
thing, of course, but I think it would be a really interesting look to see, well, that's what I would have got if I'd been shooting this film in the 1980s or, or whenever, and I would have got my prints back, and that would have been my primary way of experiencing the photographs I made would be the little packet of six by four prints that comes in through the door. Yeah. But but that poses a very interesting <clears throat> uh, uh, question, although that, that, that leads us to a very interesting question. What is the reference look, for example, of Portra? I mean, you, you <laughs> have know. a negative that's not that's not the look that we're talking about. What we're talking about is the positive. So there yes. is some... <clears throat> there is yes. uh, the the negative is just an intermediate step and so the question that if if a film stock looks so different depending on how it's processed and so on what about the print so the question that i that springs to my mind is is there a reference portrait look i would say no the variations due to the different papers that you can use the different enlargers whatever is probably similar, but not exactly the same, is it? That's that's really really interesting. Um, I, I I've not thought that through. So presumably, like you know, um, back in the day when we all shot film, right? Then there would have been multiple different manufacturers of mini labs or other machinery that's used to process film, and also uh, paper. Of course, I mean, still is lots of different types of paper to choose from. And that would all have had an impact on the the look. So you would have at least had to, to yeah, there would at least have been some variation, wasn't it? Do you know what? Just a memory is just uh, the other day I was watching a YouTube video. I think, I think it was on the Grainy Days channel. I don't okay. know if you know that one. Uh, it's a fella who lives, I think, in Los Angeles and and makes a lot of videos about going out into the desert to shoot film of like abandoned yeah. towns. And he, he said something, and I, I I have no idea whether this is true, right? But he basically said, if you want to decide what, if you want to know what colour a film is, he said, look at the box, right? Because if you look at the Fuji boxes, they're all blue and green. And if you look at the Kodak boxes, they're all red and yellow. I was like, why didn't I know that? That's so easy. If you want to know what colour a film is, right? Yeah, look I, really at the box. Love that. I really love that channel. It's, uh, I think the, the guy's name is Jason, isn't it? Yes, and I think he has so. This yes, really, really uh, sort of sarcastic way, but in a not very offensive. Yes, it's, it's not. Very, he's he's got he's very entertaining, and I think he's yeah he's he's right sort in some sort of way because I think when you look at, at those boxes and if you if you look at what the negative produces in terms of positive print, what we can say is that there is a tendency towards some some sort of look that you get from Portra, from um, uh, uh, Ektar, and so on. It's m very much different from in, in, in terms of um, positive film, like uh, slide film, like mm. Velvia, mm. and um, films like that, because, I mean, you 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 get what you look at. I mean, you just yes. shine light through it, and you know what the film looks like. So uh, that will be very close to... I mean, that that is as close as you can get to the Velvia look, obviously. But uh, for all uh, negative films, I think it's uh, very much a matter of how you print them, uh, on what you print them, with which chemicals you develop them and so on, especially black and white film. So <clears throat> I, 
I think we can probably agree on that uh, uh, on saying that in terms of color film, there is a tendency of a of a look. You will get some sort of, uh, you know, like a pastel uh, colors from Portra. You will get nice browns and greens from Ecta, but it will never look exactly the same uh, on prints. You know, even if you mm. have two cameras in the same situation, but print on different papers, it will probably look different. Or even if you, even if you print like the same negative on different papers, it will look differently in in a way. I, I yeah, guess. I mean, every every step of the processing chain has an impact on what the final image looks like, doesn't it? Yes. So, yeah, to totally with you on that. So, so it's difficult to nail it down then. So I, I might stick, actually, with the grainy days definition. It's like, if you want yeah. the film look, just look at the box, right? I think yeah, that's exactly. probably the best indicator. <laughs> but, but I have a question for you. Do you think there are... Uh there are especially for color or for negative films are there attributes of a film that are that don't change just by uh you know printing it on different papers uh so that, that's interesting i think yes but you know because uh for example the the latitude of a film i think is an attribute that we can all speak somewhat about um you know we you know than uh that is that yeah that's something that isn't impacted by the eventual output so you know i you know if any you know, lots of people would say that hp5 has some of the biggest latitude of any film out there right so i think it's not a particularly controversial thing to say and you know we've discussed already that you know slide film in it and instant film has you know uh, a very narrow dynamic range you know far fewer stops than you yeah so not so much latitude to play with there so i think that would be something that is an attribute that's not related to the output um and but then but then it the, the themselves are impacted by the interim step so you know in it you know in the case of hp5 i mean you can pull it and you can push it and you can dev it and whatever but uh, but all of that those interim steps will have some level of it you know some level of impact yeah. <clears throat> um, what about so, the grain what about the grain so I'm I'm not technical enough to speak knowledgeably about that, but you know, in terms of impact, I mean, there was a long time when I wouldn't shoot HP five in thirty five mil because for me it was just too grainy at thirty five mil, and I preferred it at one twenty. Um, I think I'm less fussed about these that these days. There's a picture on on the on the wall in my house of my wife and daughters taken years ago, just a thirty five mil. I'm pretty sure it's HP five. And it's bought and it's printed. Uh, I think it's it's printed on aluminium, so it's printed in a metric size. I think it's an A4 size, which um, uh, for those that don't understand metric is thirty by twenty centimeters. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't even know what that would be in inches. Um, anyway, never mind. Um, it's the stuff you get out of your printer, unless you live in America. And uh, that a thirty-five mil HP five at that size is just borderline for me where the grain becomes a distraction but then if you take this image and would print it in different processes let, let, let's say I, I, we agree that the 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 way how the gray is pronounced or how visible it is or not 
depends on how you develop it. But let's say you have developed the film, have the negative and print it differently. And I mean, I would say that most of the times the grain will scale according mm -hmm. to the uh, size of the print, but it will always be the same. I mean, it will not change in terms of if you print it small, obviously the grain is smaller, but it will still be there. So I think yeah. grain is if you produce the negative, it will be there. Yes, maybe it's just <clears throat> Sorry. maybe it's the combination of the size of the image versus the viewing distance. Maybe it's so so like when you're lighting something and it's the it, it's it's the softness of the light is, you know, the, the sun is really big, but it's a long way away. Right. So it creates harsh shadows where you know, something really a really small light source if it's close enough can produce soft shadows. It's the uh, it's the effective uh, size or the relative yeah. size of the light source to the subject. Maybe it's that. Maybe that particular image I stand too close to it when it's hanging on the wall, I'd, for the size that it's printed from the negative that it was shot on. I don't know. Mm. Who knows? Yeah. So so maybe a grain is a little bit like color. It will be there, but the way it is, it shows in the final image, uh, may vary according to what method of printing you use. I think that's something that. So so which adds to our feeling that the film look cannot be there is no hard definition of what, what the film look is one of the things that also springs to mind is uh, uh halation mm -hmm. i mean no matter how you print a cine still uh, uh a shot a night shot you know we all know the cliche um uh, petrol station photo with yeah, neon signs yeah. and whatever and uh, but I think the the way the halation renders in night images will always be the same, and it will yes, of course, depending on how uh, what filters you use on the enlarger and so on, it will look a little bit different, but it will be there. So, so um, I think what we have is we have the the in term um, in uh, for color film we have the 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 palette, we have the grain, we have the halation. Is there anything else that we might have missed? The, the, you, you said the latitude will be there, which is something that um, will show in the way the image looks, uh, in the way it, the sh shadows are rendered, highlights are rendered. But is there anything that we forgot that we should... If you put it in backwards, it tends to come out red. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. um, or blank, if you put it medium format in backwards. Um, um, well, I think that's that's it, isn't it? I mean, I I I suspect there is more to it than that, but I'm going to stop yeah, there sure. because it gets beyond my technical knowledge. So, so yeah. the point I've got, I I I would like to think that I'm at, I could make a a reasonably informed film choice for any particular use case based upon what, uh, uh yeah, based upon what I have a uh, I know the film will look like based upon what I know the output will look like. So I could make a distinction between when I would prefer to shoot portrait and when I would prefer to shoot FP4 uh, beyond the, the one, the fact that one is color and the other is black and white. Just to be clear, I know the difference between those. <laughs> but yeah, the um, portrait versus ectar, for example. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, I'm... yeah, which which. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would make that choice based upon what I was trying to achieve, I suppose. So, yeah, yeah I in that sense, I... I, have an, I have a feel for what the film look is. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think that's a good word. The feel, I I, feel, I think this um, along the same lines because I chose films 
according to the feel that I have what it should look like. And uh, I, I think that's a good, I mean, if we take something from what we discussed now uh, is that uh, there is no hard definition. It's always some sort of feel that we get when we look at a certain image uh, from a certain uh, stock film stock. And so the question is, if we talk, I mean, we have this provocative um, a title for our show, which is digital film photography. <laughs> so the question is, if we want to achieve a certain look, how do we do it digitally? I mean, we know uh, when we select a film stock, we both know what we what we, we are going for, what look we are going for. How do we achieve that? And I think there are different methods how we can do that digitally. Um, uh, I mean, you, for example, you uh, also have, like me, we both have Fuji uh, cameras. And uh, is that something, the film look, is that something uh, why you bought uh, the Fuji camera? What does it actually do to produce a film look? So that's really interesting. So I, I, I bought into the Fuji system before they were massively into all the different films that they do now. So I had the original X100 um, uh, and then I bought the X-T1 when that came out. Uh, and so for me, partly, partly, I guess I mostly bought into the Fuji stuff because I liked the way the cameras worked rather than because of the film look, because it wasn't quite such a, a legendary thing at the time, right? Um, uh, people didn't talk. This is before people made YouTube movies about color science, right? So, you know, um, a if you very think, strange, a very, very strange yeah, word. Was, yes, the, no in the olden what... days. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was, I think the, the XT1, I think I got in 2015, I think. And I had that for a, a long while. So, and, and when it came to changing it, upgrading it, well, I had several lenses already. I was like, well, either I have to replace all the lenses or I just buy another Fuji camera. So it's a relatively straightforward choice. It's like, okay, well, I, I'll buy a Fuji camera. Um, and I, like lots of other people did, thought that some of those Fujifilm simulations were amazing. Um, and they, you know, every now and again, they'd bring out new ones. You're like, oh, is my camera going to get the firmware upgrade to get that new look? Am I going to get the, uh, you know, I can't even remember what they're all called now. The Eterno one is the one they use for video, but there's another one. They, the classic Chrome was a big one yeah. for a while, wasn't it? And, yeah. it's like, and I've been away and I've shot whole like family holidays on classic Chrome. And I come back and go, Oh, it's all a bit blue, isn't it? And it's a bit, a bit, a bit blue and silvery. And it's like, do you know what? Actually, the ca classic Chrome, this is a very personal opinion. I love the look, but I only love it for a handful of shots. If I have to yeah. look at a whole body of work that is processed like that, then I'm not loving it. Um, and do you know what? Um, I ha I'll, ask, I'll ask you to, to, to answer this question in a minute. Um, Fuji Recipes. Right. So a fantastic way to dial different looks into your camera to get the JPEG engine. You always get the raw file, right? But the JPEG engine in the camera of the Fujis is really flexible. And you and there's a whole cult now around Fuji recipes, right? Which is the, the settings you could have for the JPEG engine in your Fuji camera that allow you to approximate the look of different films. And there's a lot of study that goes into it. Lots of people websites. It's a brilliant thing. I love it. It's a fantastic resource to have for experimenting with the film look. Right, the two I use most often on my Fuji camera are Kodachrome <laughs> and Kodak Gold. <laughs> and, and I've tried to program one that's a bit like Tri-X. And I think I've got an HP5 light one as well. 
it's so right. funny. So so on my Fuji camera, I'm trying really hard to get Kodak film looks. And it's a bit difficult to tell what a Fuji film look, looks like anymore because you can't really buy Fuji film very easily anymore. <laughs> so, I used to love shooting Superior. I've always found yeah. that Superior was one of my favourite films. It's, I was really it's an sad amazing when, film. Yeah. yeah. I was really sad when they stopped producing Superior because I used to love that a lot. Um, but yeah, so so I now have a Fuji camera that's programmed with Kodak film, film recipes. Um, do they look like film? Not to, really to my eyes. Um, but do they look nice? Yeah, they look nice enough. So that's all good. Can we talk as well? Sorry, I, I, I will ask you to answer that question. What's, what what recipes have you got programmed into your cameras? But the thing is, is that does the film look always have to mean looking backwards, right? Looking no, backwards in time all. because, oh, well, you know, Kodachrome was the most amazing film. Well, it was, it was an amazing film, but can we look forward as well as looking backward? Can we evolve? Sure. I mean, I mean, one of the things <clears throat> uh, I heard this, uh, uh, um, the saying, is progress always betterment? <laughs> Good question. Which basically, is, uh, yeah. So, but uh, coming back to your film recipes, uh, it's very funny. You shot RAW and JPEG at the same time. You know, when I got my X-Pro2, I used a DX, a DXO Photo Lab, and it wasn't able to process uh, X-Trans RAW files. So X-Trans, uh, so uh, to give the listeners uh, uh, an idea what we're talking about. Normally, um, digital sensors uh, have an arrangement of red, green, and uh, blue sensitive uh, pixels. And uh, most of the camera's uh, sensors are arranged in the Bayes uh, arrangement, which basically alternates uh, um, RGB, so red, uh, green, and blue, uh, and uh, shifts it uh, per row so that you get like an an even pattern, an even distribution. But Fuji decided to do it differently and they arranged their pixels in the X-Trend style, uh, which um, basically means you have a lot more green uh, sensors, I think, in, in, in or green pixels in, uh, in, in on the sensor. And the problem is if you have really clever uh, raw uh, processing programs they use they they take the arrangement of the pixels into consideration when doing noise reduction and stuff like that so my <clears throat> software didn't do that for extrans and the funny thing is that i shot jpeg straight out of camera exclusively with my x pro 2 so having film recipes uh, was something that i appreciated a lot because um i wanted i i i basically couldn't be bothered shooting film for a long time because I didn't want to go through the developing, but I liked the look. I liked the feeling to shoot something and get, you know, not tinker with it uh, for ages in Photoshop. Uh, so having um, a certain look in camera in the JPEG processor and just shooting JPEGs, putting in uh, on my, on my, um, uh, on my computer was something that I loved a lot. So, Yes, I did tinker with the recipes a lot. I also had something like the, like an HP five emulation and and whatnot. But I slowly but surely came back to the original Fuji recipes, you know, like ah, okay. and things like that. Because I don't know, it nowadays D DXO Photolab can process X trans, 
And you know, the funny thing is, we'll be coming to that in a, in a second, is DxO Photolab has amazing film emulation. But uh, do you know, uh, do you actually um, know that they, uh, they categorize film by fil negative color film, neg negative black and white, well, black and white film, and uh, positive color film, and digital films. Okay, which films. sounds like yeah, because the Fuji Acros look of the camera is not what Acros looks like most of the times. <laughs> so that's something that people uh, also complain about that it doesn't really look very much like Acros. As we discussed before, there is always variation in how a film looks, but it seems to be so off the character of Acros that people say, hmm, it's not spot on or anything. So, so tell, tell me about this, because this is something that you do and that I don't. So I've got a lot to learn in this part of the conversation. So my, my best understanding is, is that DxO, I think you're a French company. Yes, I think so. Um, they, they have software that um, is very meticulous, very, very precise and accurate in the way that it emulates film. It, uh, yes. it, so and there is a, there are a lot of detailed and subtle controls available to the user of that software to allow them to to tweak the characteristics of their images yes um so to um dxo has this add-on so so first of all dxo photolab is just a, um, a normal photo raw processor something like um like uh, adobe lightroom or Apple Aperture used to be, uh, and they have this add-on called uh, Film Pack. And within that Film Pack add-on, they have certain presets that apply a film look. So what they, to my understanding, I'm not entirely sure if it's exactly that way, but from my understanding, they uh, bought all sorts of film stock that was available. And, um, uh, and they've been doing this for a long time so that was during a time when there were still a lot of uh, films available and they uh, shot those films in controlled environments with color targets and whatnot and try to figure out what that film does in terms of color character in terms of grain and so on and uh, they basically created presets color presets and stuff like that to render uh, uh, a neutral digital image as closely as a film would render in the same conditions. Right. Okay. So, that's that. There's clearly a lot of of deeply technical work. Uh, yeah. Yeah. To to analyze that and to code it into software and to to make it all. Yeah. They they are no strangers to that. For example, DxO uh, uh, uses um, optical modules for digital cameras, which where they basically test every available let's say fuji uh, lens with every fuji body and every combination uh, has different you know characteristics so, so they don't only have like lens corrections for one lens but they have lens corrections for a lens on a certain body wow okay so so they are no strangers uh, to putting so this is no advertisement i have no affiliation with them other than <laughs> being a long-time customer but uh, so they yeah i think they put a lot of work into that uh, mind you there are other companies like for example a company that 
um, produces a software called Dehancer, which um, uh, comes as a, I think, a Photoshop plugin and, and also, I think, standalone, which does the same, but from what I can tell, uh, even goes a little further because it will also emulate palation and stuff like that. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so this is okay. So, so this is interesting because I, I don't. I, I mean, one of the reasons I, I always said I used to shoot film a lot was because I didn't like to do any post processing, and you could get the yes. look straight. Yeah, you could get a nice looking image straight out. Yeah, straight out of the scan. Um, they still don't do a lot, to be honest. Um, but um, uh, uh, the over, over the years, I've tried lots of different things to 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 find a look, as it were. Um, and this is clearly one approach that's very precise. And uh, but I've found there are a couple of even like phone apps that um, that 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 provide something that you could call a film look. Uh, um, Visco is one. Um, RNI films, I think it's called, is is another one. I've ne and I've never subscribed to these, but I've played around with them a bit. Um, uh, so I probably haven't experienced the full glory of what they're capable of. But um, so we, but that's a very different way of doing it. That's not about precision at that point. That's about applying essentially a filter to your photograph to make it look that way. But you know, the funny thing is, <clears throat> sorry for interrupting you, but the funny thing is, I don't tinker with my digital images a lot. The thing is, this these presets that are there are almost uh, take the same role as the film stock when I shoot analog. I basically um, figure out what look do I want today and select a preset and just apply it. I don't tinker with it. It just, you know, adds a look to an image as a film would and I simply select it. And uh, so so it's the, the there are parallels to film photography in that um in that way that I just you know the only oh, difference is that's a great statement. Let's just say that again out loud so that we can annoy as many people as possible. Oh, what you're goodness. saying is that actually click applying a filter to a digital photograph is the same thing the exact same thing as choosing a film stock that's what you if, just if, said if if we haven't been burned at the stake for the first episode <laughs> this will definitely or at least they will burn me at the stake oh, no i'm i mean i mean yeah obviously that is not that's not exactly the same sure but uh well, the way the way i see it the, the way i see it is uh it's uh it's not um it's the feeling I have when selecting the digital equivalent to a look yeah. is, uh, is. So, and especially in your scenario where you're using your camera and shooting JPEGs only, right? And, and so not, you, not, you are very now. much choosing not, to bake in the look at that point. Yeah, uh, back then, yes. Today, I shoot raw. Yeah. But the actually the software will um, will uh, look at what. Um, film emulation I shot on the Fuji and applied the same settings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that's the way it works. But um, yeah, I mean, there are some advantages, obviously, when you shoot uh, uh, um, black and white. I love to apply color filters. Uh, it's like the same, like you screw on a color filter on the lens, like a red filter or a yellow filter. And sometimes uh, you need to, you know, get it right on um on location you know you you from experiences you know if you just you know use an orange filter that will come out nicely 
but sometimes I like to play with that in post. So if you uh, talk about filling, yes, that's what I do in digital because I use this advantage to find the right filter sometimes. <clears throat> but most of the time I just apply a preset and it happens to say Kodak Portra on the preset. Yeah, okay. So now I would never say that it's the same like uh, so, choosing no, a film. It, it is really interesting because we've talked, you know, this is a conversation of two halves, isn't it, right? So the first half we talked a lot about what we consider the film look to be. Uh, and, you know, that, that, that is a conversation that everybody will have their own opinion of and their own interpretation of. And now we're talking about the tools and, and you know, the... Because I I have a story from years ago, which and I don't know really where it I know it fits into this part of the conversation, but I don't know quite why I want to tell it. So uh, some years ago, uh, some friends of mine got married. Uh, and uh, they didn't ask me to shoot. They asked another friend to shoot. And he said, it's OK, I will do that. Um, and uh, they said, oh, can you shoot it all on film, please? And he said, yes, but I can't afford to shoot it all on film. So I'm going to shoot film and I'm going to shoot digital. Uh, and this was 10, 12 years ago. Um, it's a while ago now. So so a digital, a consumer grade digital SLR in those days was not the same thing that we all enjoy shooting with today. Uh, and I then had the task of matching them in post. Oh, my goodness. So what happened was that my friend who is the photographer came round and he said, OK, here is the scans of the film. But, so I didn't have to do the scanning, but he had, he had had the film scanned, presumably by the lab that developed it. Uh, and it was colour as well. So so no get out of jail free card because it was black and white. It was colour. Uh, and then he had all his digital files as well. And at that time, I was using Aperture because Aperture at that time was a far superior tool to Lightroom. Uh, um, yeah. uh, and uh, it, yes, well, we don't need to, uh, I don't need to cry over that story again. But I, I still do. I still do. <laughs> but yeah, never mind. I, Sorry, continue. So the uh the we sat there one evening um and I had to use you know the 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 sliders essentially in a 2010 2011 version of aperture to to match digital to film. And do you know what? We got really close. Really really close. Um you know, I mean, yes, we obviously I wasn't able to emulate the grain, you know, as such, but we were very close with the colours because even back then you could manipulate colour uh, to a point where, where you could actually do quite a lot with it. I mean, nowhere near what you can do today. It, what you can do today is, is just amazing. But um, you could if you had professional software like Aperture or Lightroom in those days. Um, then you could actually do still quite well. Um, so if you were to print them out, all of these things large and have them side by side, you'd notice a difference because one would have a film type grain and the other would have a digital noise in it, right? Uh, so you'd be able to tell. But nobody was ever going to do that. I mean, at the best, they were going to get printed six by four inches and stuck in yeah. a photo album, you know, so, so that was fine. So 
I'm telling this story and I don't know what side of the fence I fall on. Do I, do I, do I now think that because I did this 10 years ago that uh, there's no difference between film and digital? Because I don't think I believe that at all. I think no, there is a difference. But... There, is a, there is a huge difference. But I think the point that I would take away from the story is that what you did in, with a lot of work and fiddling with sliders, uh, I mean, film emulation is not like a perfect science for me it just helped me to apply a look that otherwise i would have tried to create myself and uh, so i'm not emulating yes it says film emulation it says film pack what what i'm emulating is the look that i love from the film uh, mm. films that i shot and i think that's the important thing that's a takeaway for me uh, that uh, the look that i feel is a certain film look i want to have that if i i mean uh, to be perfectly honest shooting digitally is v mm, i love shooting film uh so it's not like it's not a good or a or a better replacement it's just some other way but i do like the look that i had with film mm. and these tools enable me to get close to the look without having to do a lot of post-processing and yes it's a lot it's luxurious to maybe even decadent to change the look of a shoot uh you know in post-processing that's for sure yeah but definitely it's, it's it's good i mean but let's um one topic that we uh, uh teased uh in the first episode was digicams ah yes and we did <clears throat> how about how about this story I used to, uh, um, I had the privilege of going to Australia in 2008 and there was this gentleman uh, sitting next to me on a ferry in Sydney, uh, in the Sydney Harbour. And he had a, a, a Canon G9, which is basically a very sturdy, magnesium-bodied, um, compact camera, but with a great quality. And uh, after that holiday, um, I got rid of my old camera and got a Canon G10. Ah, and, yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, and from today's standards, it's not like a really good cameras. I'm not entirely sure if it has CCD sensor or CMOS. I'm not sure. But what it had was really bad low light performance. But what I loved about that is you could just switch it to black and white and use the low the, the the grain that you get the the noise the digital noise as grain and that was the first time that i sort of got a look from a digital camera that reminded me of uh my black and white days uh back as a teenager you are so dangerous for me i am this close to logging on to a website and buying a fuji x20 right now so i <laughs> I don't usually regret selling cameras. Often they go to people that will use them more frequently than I do anyway, which is a good thing, right? But one of the few cameras that I do really miss is my Fuji X20, which is a, a little point and shoot with a built-in zoom lens. And it did exactly what you've just described yeah. so well. Do you yeah. know, do you know uh, the, the funny thing is uh, I sold this camera to... A colleague of mine and I, like a few days ago I asked him 
do you still have that camera? He's like, <laughs> yeah, it's all there. And I was like, I'm so tempted to get it back uh, because I like this trend that uh, I mentioned uh, last episode that uh, also Lucy Lumen talks about, uh, uh, you know, this digital trend I, I, for several reasons. First of all, I like that um, electronic garbage gets picked up instead of thrown away. Yes, right. Yeah, we use first. Thing. Absolutely. Yep. And uh, the other thing is there is something about this look that you get um and uh, i think some people who uh, uh exclusive exclusively shot film picked up those digicams because they like the quirkiness of the look yeah. and and you know then this leads me to the question is um the look that you get from that isn't that uh something that is similar to the film look that we're looking for and that we're talking about isn't the look something that this this special look something that people want to replicate because i mean obviously uh you can emulate the digicam look uh on modern camera images but i think it's at least as much work to um match the old look on a modern camera as it is to match the film look on a modern camera yeah i think so um uh, uh i think it is uh, I, so, so for me, this it's an interesting, not particularly surprising phenomenon that that people are interested in older digital cameras, um, because you know there will always be you know something that is cheap suddenly becomes very popular because a few people who pick it up you know and and these people are influencers because they tend to be a lot younger than you and I, um, and and uh, therefore usually more beautiful as well and you know on on the internet and what have you and it suddenly becomes a trend. Yeah. Right. So that's all good. Uh, and as you say, it's good to see these things being reused. But I think certainly I have a tiny little Lumix camera, a Digicam from the late 2000s. Um, and I have taken it out uh, this year. Even I charged up the batteries. It's, it's um, It did take an SD card. So that was useful. Um, and uh, I took it out and I used it. And it was like, oh, yeah, OK, that's all right. It's quite good fun. But it it didn't do anything for me. It didn't have any that particular camera didn't have any particular zing for me. But I think definitely these things are a lot better in black and white. All of these things in color because I yeah, think sure. one of the thing that has improved hugely over that time is the color rendition uh, yeah. of any uh, uh, yeah that that you can get out of sensors now. Um, Funny uh, enough, uh, this bad color rendition is exactly what people are looking for on the Digicams. Yeah. So my Strange, first ever, my first day, you asked me in the previous conversation what was my uh, what was my photography journey and my first ever camera was as i said was a uh, a consumer grade dslr it was a nikon d80 uh, which is one of the last ccd slrs that um nikon made i think because i think even the the immediate successor converted to a cmos sensor and i didn't know that at the time i never know i had no idea what these things were and i still only have the vaguest idea it was only very recently i became aware that people think that ccds are in some way preferable in certain conditions to to see more yeah. sensors um but i i liked the color rendition that i look back and I go yeah yeah it's, it's mm. great it's all right yeah it's, yeah sure it was it was fine yeah <laughs> it's like <laughs> so so i mean other than you know picking up a really expensive camera emulating film the film look in a, a expensive software uh now we've touched the subject of you know 
emulating film look with a cheap camera, an old camera in black and white, preferably. Uh, the question is that we that we haven't discussed yet is how you mentioned phone apps, obviously, and I think it would be interesting to our listeners to learn more about what we think uh, certain phone apps um, can do and and how they emulate film in a way or get your film look that you know you would never get away with it if you do a side-by-side -side comparison obviously but i mean you, you get a an image that has this certain je ne sais quoi uh so you mentioned uh um uh i, I don't remember which two, two of them i mentioned one was fisco and the other was r and i oh, films yeah. <clears throat> yeah so i'm an android user and one of the apps that i can recommend is uh, uh the vignette app vignette right. like the vignette the lens vignette you can get and uh it's sort of like a hipstamatic on the iphone i guess okay yeah yeah so it emulates toy cameras and uh, stuff like that and i think um i mean you, you we should always approach you know the film look playfully I think because I mean what we're doing is we either we pretend to have film which is like a play in itself uh, <laughs> but I mean what we try to do is do something uh, create something from what's not there you have a neutral image but you want a certain look uh, and you can do that with these apps as well and you can have like Holger sort of style um, images and um, I think that's perfectly fine I mean For example, if you're in the situation that you can't afford film, I think it's it's a good thing that you can pick up stuff like that and get a look. Um, so, so um, Chris Marquardt, who, as you know, I do the Future Photography podcast with, he, the yeah. phrase that he uses is the democratization of photography, by yeah, which that's... he means that this technology has made photography accessible to not everyone obviously but to far more people than could ever access photography in the past yeah even when yeah. even when film was the only thing and it was cheap it was still it was still a thing you had to, you know cameras were still considered expensive items right and film was still a cost that you had you know that, that you had to bear uh to, to participate um you know the fact that so many people now have cameras in their pockets and for let's be honest quite a lot less than the cost of one roll of film oh yes <laughs> um you can now um get some some fantastic apps that can allow you to be incredibly creative i i think yeah. i think that's an amazing thing and the fact that this is the thing isn't it the fact that you can get the film look on each of those is is, is better but i think i i talking about the digicams and talking about that i think i prefer to I, I know we're trying we're, we're exploring in these conversations the uh, the the blend of of digital and film but I think actually just a look is a look right I think that's where I'm yes. getting to and yeah. as a friend of mine who is an audio engineer said to me years and years ago probably uh, 20 something years ago um yeah at the time digital audio processing was becoming a really big thing so in the 90s right so so when you first started to see the democratization of music where you could actually digitally create music on on a consumer grade piece of kit um that uh, i remember saying to him well why does everybody prefer vintage stuff right why does everybody prefer analog kit and not like digital kit why do, why does everybody want to buy that 
you know that 1970s 64 channel neve desk right for millions of dollars or whatever it is rather than just plug it all into a computer and he said it's dead simple so they've been developing that for 50 60 years and it sounds amazing right digital technology is 10 years old and it sounds rubbish <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you know what my what i think my takeaway is from this episode is it's very easy to get a portrait look by taking an analog camera putting in portrait and shooting the film that's very true you know? yes so so we're talking about is we we're talking about workarounds of getting the same look in some other way that is not as easy as shooting the film, you know? And I think that's what it's all about. It's the same with the analog uh, recording equipment. It's very easy. It's been there. It's yeah. been well-developed. And now people know that they need to match this quality and, you know, work around all the digital caveats that you get in uh, when using digital um, uh, recording equipment. And I think that is probably a very good uh point that we i mean i don't know if you agree i think that's the point that i would see which we're trying to make uh with the show that yeah uh, absolutely and i think you know i think we're at a time now that the actually the digital photography technology is far more matured and actually you can get some really good looks um uh, and some of them are very similar and can be made to be very similar and some of them are just really good digital looks yeah that's true so so that's that's what I think about that, as they say. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> so um, to give our listeners uh, 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 a little teaser of what we're going to do next show, next show we're going to talk about hardware and also about output. So how do you output images that you create? So thank you all for listening. Thank you, Aid, for joining me on this show. And... Uh, Please tell the listeners where they can find your work. You said that you uh, post on Twitter last show. Yes. Well, I'll tell you what I should have said is they should post to me on Twitter and then buy one of my zines because that's the major product that I've shared this year with the world. And what a good zine it is. I have uh, the privilege of I have the privilege of owning one and it's a very good zine. Well, thank you for saying so. So, yes, job. there are. So there are still copies left of the Smithereens zine. Um, so if you DM me on Twitter or actually, no, just just any any tag message on Twitter, um, aid nine, six, eight is my Twitter handle. And uh, yeah, we can talk about how I can get you a copy of my zine. Yeah. So uh, I'm uh, C underscore STR1 on uh, Instagram. And please feel free to contact us with, please not with flame mails, but uh, with <laughs> input to what, we, what we're telling you on sunny16presents at gmail.com. And I think I'm pretty sure that uh, it will find the way uh, to us. Yeah, uh, Graham, Graham will deal with all of that. Yeah, he runs, okay. that, he, he runs that email address. He'll be fine. <laughs> Okay, so thank you very much for listening and uh, yeah, hopefully you'll listen to the next upcoming episode. Until then, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye.